0: All right, welcome everybody. I'm Steve Parker with Archer, and welcome to another episode of Direct Connect. I'm very happy today to have a couple of special guests with us. We have Kelly Strand and Bryce Yonker from Grid Forward, I'm going to talk about. What's next on the grid? Um, a very, very interesting topic. And uh, I've known, known Bryce for quite a while and been involved with uh, Grid Forward and uh, Archer recently joined as a, as a member. So we're excited to bring them on board and talk about what's going on in their world. Uh, with that, um, Bryce, why don't we start with you? Uh, introduce yourself and talk a little bit about, uh, well, you introduce yourself, we'll let Kelly introduce herself and then you guys can decide who wants to give us the overview of Grid Forward. Thanks, Steve. Um...
1: Yep. Bryce Yonker here. Uh, I I run Grid Forward, an industry trade organization uh, working to move grid modernization ahead. We'll talk a little bit about some of the areas we're working. I was an initial board member uh, when we got this thing started back in 2010. Um, I took on the first executive director role in in 2014. So a little bit of history with the organization and the efforts we've been trying to drive.
2: Hey, Steve. Uh, Nice to meet you. I'm Kelly Strand. I'm deputy executive director at Grid Forward.
0: Um, Bryce, why don't you? You mentioned you uh, you've been with the organization since the beginning, back in, in 2010. Why don't you give us a kind of a brief history of the last uh, 13, 14 years, and then just let us know, you know, wh- what is Grid Forward today? What's it, and what's it doing? What its key focus areas and mission?
1: Yeah, I'll let I'll let Kelly tackle a little bit of the stuff today, and maybe add on. But I'll I'll lay some of the foundation from where we got things started. Um, so Grid Forward kind of started on the tail end the last time that the federal government was really going to be supportive of investing and in moving the grid forward. Um, so those of us close to it know that that was affectionately known as ARRA. Um, so when those resources were hitting the market, a group of industry individuals thought it was important that we could come together and rally support around uh, moving the grid forward. So it evolved um, more, more utilities, more um, tech innovators, more national labs and government organizations uh, continually got involved after a couple name changes. um, The the latest organization uh, took root in 2019. And so what we're primarily focused on is to drive innovation and modernization ahead by working with the parties that are primarily responsible for that. Um, So electric grid utilities, technology innovators, and a wide array of partners that are outside them whether it's a, a national lab or a state regulator or a regional nonprofit organization, we think it's a big tent that's required to really move this ball forward. Um, so Kelly, maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the latest things that we've got in motion. I'll add a little bit on that as well.
2: Sure. Um, so we really divide the work that we do into three primary pillars. We focus on community, information, and expertise. Um, and expertise is the buckets changed that is changing uh, the most rapidly these days. Uh, expertise is the area where we are uh, combining or creating opportunity for um, grid modernization policy input uh, in looking backward. And then looking forward, we're actually trying to uh, put together teaming submissions. So we had. A hand in creating a couple of those this year. One of them is just about to hit the submit button. I think in the next 24 hours or so, uh, around wildfires, uh, and so that's a that's an organi- or that's a, a partnership group that has, I think it's seven utilities, something like uh, five or six different technology industry providers that are all focused around the concept of uh, uh, addressing, preventing wildfires, however possible, primarily up and down the West Coast.
1: So the federal policy front has been a big thrust of late. We'll talk a little bit more about that, Steve, I'm sure. Um, as you know, we organize gatherings. So we have meetings with our community, including our main Grid Forward event, um, and just do what we can to, to share the key information and updates and thought leadership uh, that, that gives this community the information that they need to know to, to be acting um, in an effective manner to move move advanced technologies forward on their systems,
0: so that's us. Excellent. So it's uh, <clears throat> it's interesting. You know, you know, I, I I do a lot of work in cybersecurity, and that's often thought of as being this you know this cool, sexy kind of sort of thing. But the reality is, a lot of what's happening in my world is old and boring, right? It's the, it's the transmission, the bulk electric system, and the old kind of standard thing. So you're kind of on the cutting edge, and you know, when I when I think of security and reliability and you know where the next frontier is in those i think you guys are there now um you're you're building you're designing you're, you have your hands in policy decisions on on all that so that's uh, that's a big part of why i wanted to have you on for this conversation because for my own benefit and the benefit of our community having that eye towards the future i think is very important so we're we're ready to address some of those challenges that'll, that'll come our way um with, with that in mind uh in mind. you hinted at, hinted at a couple of the projects but describe you know how, how was the grid changing and when i say grid um, I'm thinking not just on the transmission side, but really out into distribution um, all the way down down to the down to the homes. How, how has it changed? What are the key areas where, where change is, is happening?
2: Having just come out of a utility, I have a unique perspective on this. Uh, I think that we're seeing the grid change in a number of ways. First, we're seeing a huge thrust of decarbonization. A lot of that, what we're seeing there is the impact of electric vehicles coming onto the grid. We see a lot of electrification and the... The portfolios that are be, being decarbonized are being stressed even further, right? So we're trying to identify new energy streams that are clean and able to deliver to our customers lot, um, on an aging grid. Um, in addition, we're seeing the expansion of distributed energy resources. So we're seeing more solar. We're seeing more uh, smart devices that help manage uh, a, a set of changing loads over, the, over that aging distributed grid and all that um, to me, all that is complicated by the fact that we have new tools, new data, new con- uh, new communications processes that frankly weren't available to us just 10 years ago. So a lot of this is changing really quickly. We're also seeing digitization coming along. I mean, uh, utilities are, are changing everything from how they do their modeling, all the way to how they actually deliver services to customers and all of that is carried on the um, on the heels of these new tools and these, these new communications platforms um, we're also seeing uh, pretty significant um, endeavors in environmental justice and we're seeing new players come into the scene as well so we now have um, folks like electric vehicle uh, manufacturers that are driving, um, more and more of the conversation. So we see a number of changes. All of these are being played out over our grid. All of these are being played out in, um, across policy and across regulatory frameworks, and then all the way down to the, uh, end user as well. Bryce, what would you
1: add? (laughs) Well, you covered the broad brushstrokes. Uh, maybe I can peel one or two back a little bit further. Um, I think what's really in flux in the way that grid operators are running their system is the way that they're using information. Um, We're kind of in a new information age on what's possible to understand with the, what, what, what is going on on our, on our grid systems. And so diving a little deeper on the digitization trend that I think you laid out, Kelly, um, Grid operators have a lot more visibility on what's going on in their system than they had ten years ago than they had five years ago, and uh, how we turn uh, data into inf- in uh, into actionable information is is really an active part um, of the ecosystem right now. I think we're going to see a lot um, around the data analytics sphere coming from the utility ecosystem in the next couple years um, you know, like like electric vehicles were kind of the killer app for opening up consumers um, trends and interest on the evolving grid. I think we just barely dipped our toe in the water of what's ch- transitioning on the grid um, as we put um, basically advanced metering infrastructure uh, at, at, every, at most homes and businesses across the country. So that would be one thing. We could talk about all host of other new ways that Grid operators are running their system. I think the uh, democratization and and the uh, distribution of assets, kind of being pushed out towards the edge, is is one that's really active, which I imagine we'll talk a little bit more about today too.
0: All right, thank you. Yeah, the um, you know I just recently was, uh, saw a slide someone was talking about grid and, and reliability, and um, I've had this thought for for a while now. The, the grid is changing and you can let me know if you agree with the statement statement, but we used to have a deterministic grid where we did right what resources were necessary to provide power at all times and we built that out and we could dispatch those with the amount of renewables coming online and load changing we're moving to a probabilistic grid and which I guess you could say means we'll probably have power, but um, in all seriousness, it it is you, you talk about how information is being used and, and the way we're changing the way information is used and all this other data points. Um, it does feel that way that instead of building a grid that we know right, scientifically we can run at all times, now we're relying more on probability on, on markets and demand response and resource. We're saying we probably most likely, hopefully, you know, very likely we'll have enough power. Um, is that an accurate? Do, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Is that you get a sense that that's accurate?
1: Absolutely. The way I'll see if I can describe this uh, accurately. The way that we historically have run our system was to forecast demand and dispatch generation or dispatch load, um, and that worked fine uh, for a number of decades when we could reasonably predict the way that consumers were going to behave. And and we knew what sort of uh, large centralized physical assets we had to to be able to count on. Um, Today, uh, that is, that is somewhat flipping. I wouldn't say on its head, but certainly on its side as we uh, forecast generation or forecast what we're going to be able to dispatch and, and, uh, and control load. Um, And so we've really changed the way that energy systems are run, um, you know, scaling energy efficiency programs, scaling those to um, truly be dynamic demand side, demand flexibility offerings, um, understanding how to integrate variable resources at scales that are really rather significant. This is changing the way that we run energy systems. Um, and uh, exactly what impacts the um uh, Reliable delivery uh, of energy is something that's pretty complicated. We'll talk a little bit more more about that later today, but but uh, of recent days, for for many factors, um, really more complex than we've already gotten a chance to discuss today, uh, reliability has been has been something that's been heading not in the right direction. So we can talk maybe a little bit about that later, uh, but no, I think the way that you described it is 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 a fair assumption.
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot of talk about you know the the reduction reliability that we've seen. Um, I know NERC and their long term forecast that has raised concerns for significant parts of the country. Uh, the reliability uh, isn't necessarily there over the long term that they've seen in the, seen in the past. Um, but let's flip that upside down. Right. And, and look at from an opportunity perspective. You know, maybe in, in the process of changing the grid, we've created some problems. Um, but with every problem, there's an opportunity to fix it. So what are the, the great areas of opportunity that you see that are being worked on right now within your your sphere of influence?
1: I think some key areas of opportunity to maybe get headed in the right direction on grid reliability, um, for one, would be kind of the blocking and tackling of the way that we treat distributed resources. Um, so, you know, a couple decades ago, operators started dipping their toe in the water, some some more reluctant than others um, on efficiency being a true resource that they could that they could use, and they could tap into from their customers. Um, And, and we have not used all of those resources by any stretch of the imagination. But what's getting really exciting these days is where we can take, um, you know, more comprehensive demand side programs and demand side packages, um, and use in customer flexibility, in a way that it can wield itself at a significant scale. Um, on the system. So I think most people started realizing how real this was when we could control um, hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of um, hot, uh, of thermostats, uh, controllable, controllable um, uh, thermostats. Uh, But now, you know, it's the early days of what that could look like for electric vehicles. Um, Hot water heaters um, present a huge opportunity for the marketplace. Um, And there's Basically controllable in anything. Pick pick the widget that's that's being used, um, and and operators are going to be able to interface um, with that on a on a really significant scale, um, and dispatch that uh, as a real resource and a and a resource that can that can help um, smooth out some of the the bumps and valleys um, of of the um, issues that they may be having with their system. Now, is a is a scale demand side program going to be able to help you ride through a multi day outage? no um and i think that that's one of the key things that's really you know eating into those reliability numbers so maybe we can talk about other opportunities there but we have a lot of excitement around around that area of opportunity
0: in our realm yeah that that, that seems that seems interesting to me and I, I happen to be in the process of building a new house and i'm i'm learning that almost all of the the major systems are now connected to the internet you know they're they're monitoring your hvac and uh the hot water heaters and all these other things um so I'm not, I'm not 100% sure how I feel about having my utility control my, my appliances, but um, maybe for a small compensation, I could, I could live with that, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think a lot, I think the, I think the secret sauce will be when people don't even know, you don't even know that your, that your error is being changed a degree or two um, and you're going to be compensated if it is. And if you don't want it to be, you always can override that. Um, So I think, Uh, one of the ones that is especially interesting to me is hot water. I mean, how often do you know what, what your hot water is actually sitting there as, um, and, and that energy, uh, can last for quite some time. So pre, pre using that, uh, I think it kind of stands as a no brainer. So I think, I think the, the programs that have the least amount of, um, really interface or awareness that they're even impacting the lives of, of users, those are going to be the ones that are the most successful.
0: Are you doing anything around uh, EVs? Because certainly the, the amount of energy that's in a car battery is, you know, orders of magnitude more than the energy that's stored in a tank of hot water, for example. Um, do you have any insights into how they, those may factor into load shaping and uh, energy storage and things of that nature?
1: Yeah, Kelly, I don't know if you want to add anything to this, but I basically hear it uh, being described as uh, the amount of of Energy capacity that you have in in those in those um, electric vehicles uh, when it when it plugs in and is charging is is akin to plugging in a second house, right? The sort of demand that it draws if you're wanting to charge it all instantaneously at that at that full full force it is akin to turning on all of the other sort of appliances that you would usually be using at a similar time. So. The impact on the grid is significant, um, and the opportunity is also significant. Um, it's pretty early days in North America for kind of the uh, the nirvana of a, of a sort of a V2G or V2X, as they're calling it now, um, realm, where a, where a grid operator might have the ability to tap into... Um, uh, the the capacity that's sitting in a vehicle latent. Um, but I, I think it's going to come. I I really do. I think we're going to find ourselves in a place sometime from now or where consumers are comfortable, um, with that idea because they're compensated for, um, offering that level of flexibility. Um, and operators have found a way to, to kind of aggregate those resources up and, and bring them onto the system at a significant scale. Um, it, it is early days, Steve, right now on what that looks like in the marketplace. Um, the OEMs are starting to try to get comfortable with what that can look like. If it does anything on warranties, that's been kind of a, a conversation for a number of years. Um, but but I, I see a trend really coming where uh, electric vehicle infrastructure wanting to provide uh, a resource as a grid-flexible asset really seems like it is, it is coming around the corner. I don't know if you have anything else you'd want to add there, Kelly.
2: Yeah, Steve, um, when I think about electric vehicles, I see them both as a challenge and an opportunity, frankly, and I think they are across all sectors. Um, Bryce touched on how uh, some of the residential models will probably progress, but there are also um, other pieces in place in this very, very complicated pie, right? Um, there's a there's commercial loads and there are fleet loads as well that will probably help uh, um, as we see them electrify, they'll also help the level of comfort uh, around the country increase. As we see more and more of those fleets begin to transfer from gasoline engines, uh, internal combustion engines, all the way over to electric vehicles, um, and and those are going to come with unique and interesting partnerships with utilities. We're going to see. You know, charging at night programs. We're going to see charging during the day type programs. We're going to see load filling programs. So we're going to see a lot of flexibility and that in itself, I think is going to begin to add to how um, kind of the conversation continues at a residential level too. Uh, and so I think that there will be an increased level of comfort. There are also huge amounts of effort up and down at a minimum, the West Coast that I'm aware of uh, to try and build out the charging networks and those charging networks are anything from, you know, a a five to ten minute charge all the way to a slower process. So it um, the you know, the chicken and egg question is always does charging infrastructure enable people to actually electrify their vehicles or is it the other way around? Um, And uh, but at a minimum, I think the the data shows that that level of comfort actually increases and enables people to decide to make that purchase. So um, I again, I started I said that it was both a challenge and an opportunity. I think there are a lot of models that we will begin to see. And we a lot of our members are working really hard on this and they're coming up with some really interesting solutions uh, because the the impact on the grid is massive. It's a huge hurdle and opportunity.
1: I'll, I'll just reiterate one other thing, probably my favorite idea within the realm of electrified transportation and the the role that it can play on the grid would be with school buses. Um, So if you think about uh, the way that a school bus operates, it's on a scheduled time, Um, it's typically being used really only during those times, Um, and uh, it it would lend itself really well um, to be able to be a grid flexible asset outside of those times. Not to mention those school districts would really benefit from having an additional uh, revenue stream uh, for given all the all, all the budget challenges that um, educational institutions do face these days. So um, as school buses um, are electrified and coming in literally at like megawatt scale loads, um, it, it's a it's a grid relevant resource um, it, basically with with one um unit and if a school district has multiple of them or multiple schools have multiple of them you're bringing in things that when they get aggregated are really going to make a big impact on the way that we run systems and it just seems like a such a natural partnership uh, between utilities school districts um, and just a good win-win all the, all the way around so we're really excited to see uh, these these uh, buses coming in we hope the manufacturers can keep up with the orders we know we know there's a very very high amount of demand um, and and we think that could really kind of pave the way as to you know vehicle flexibility providing um, vehicle assets providing grid flexibility can be proven out pretty well
0: The the fascinating discussion. I do do want to get into into challenges. And Kelly, you had mentioned that EVs bring both opportunities and challenges. But first, you know, I was thinking about economic models um, for all this. And, you know, we're already at a point now where, where people, I think, are becoming comfortable with the kind of the app. Based economics, we see with Uber, with Airbnb, we're used to sharing things, and so maybe someday there'll be an app. I don't know what the name would be called. Uh, if we think of a good one, we should trademark it, right? The right device uh, but uh, an app for uh, you know demand response in your home. and People start monetizing their laundry or something. Um, who, who knows what what could, what could happen in the future? Um, but let's 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 go to go to. We challenges. should definitely
2: figure out how to monetize yeah, our we laundry. Should,
0: we should definitely <laughs> absolutely do that. We'll see. I know. I, I know. We're, you know. I I I plan to have a backup generator at my new house, and I'm thinking. You know, I'd, I'd be happy to turn that on and sell power back to the grid at nine thousand dollars a megawatt hour, if if needed. Um, <laughs> so those sorts of things are are, are of great interest to me. But let's let's talk about challenges. Um, you know, you you've laid out a lot. A lot is happening. It's kind of mind blocking to see. And uh, I always love love chatting with you because I don't get to I get I don't get to to see into this world on a daily basis um what are some of the key challenges and maybe ev maybe we go back to ev and talk about some of those or or other areas that uh, we need to overcome to really get where the vision is for the grid of the future
1: yeah i think that there are lots of challenges on scaling evs but i'll take it up a level from just evs and and talk about challenges in general to, to driving advanced solutions ahead on the grid um kelly you can bring something different and then i'll maybe keep the ball rolling but my my first of challenge is is the challenge of changing the status quo um, and these grid operators have done things in a certain way for for a long time um, and getting in and changing that is is no feat to be underestimated um, the the friction to overcome uh, uh, the way that things have been done and, and kind of readjust change management trying trying to bring in innovations of culture this is this is just an a, a not insignificant Task of kind of turning the turning the barge, if you will, it doesn't pivot really quickly. Um, I'll add on to that the fact that, um, as as most of your listeners will know, um, distribution utilities are, are little little regulated monopolies, right? And so, whether they're an investor-owned utilities and, and and are regulated by the state, or they're a public utility and and overseen by their their local board, um, the hurdle to prove that the investments that you're making are justified and prudent ones um, on areas that are less well known uh, or maybe are well known, but just adjust the way that you're doing your business is again, not to be underestimated. So the regulatory friction, um, whether it's you know at the state level or from some other jurisdiction is a very significant um, hurdle to overcome in this space. Um, Kelly, I know I only mentioned two there. I don't know if you want to elaborate on either or drop in anything else.
2: When I think of challenges, the first thing I thought of was value stacking. And Bryce, I think you hit that with the second one. But essentially the ability to um, uh, make a case for the grid modernization that is needed at a particular time in the particular place and stack up all the values that you're going to get and deliver those to your customers, whether it's a member-owned utility or an IOU, um, to, but to be able to translate those into values for your customers, um, man, uh, sometimes that can be a real big lift, uh, particularly with the the type of re- regulatory framework that the various utilities we work with um, have to go through. Uh, but the other thing I was thinking about was the fact that, frankly, the the way that utilities operate is changing um, day by day and we've seen a lot of this come through actually in uh, wildfire mitigation recently Um, today utilities in uh, the southern parts of the west are operating with uh, uh, these periods where they actually turn off um, the power they're doing PSPS uh, pauses what are they called Um, public safety power shutoffs and this is a completely different way of operating your business. Think about it. A utility is uh, earns revenue based on how many kilowatt hours or kW you actually deliver to the customer. And now we're going to say we're asking those utilities to say, "Stop! Please don't buy our product, or don't expect our product to come to you for a period of time." Uh, and so we're seeing. Uh, pretty significant changes in the way that utilities are being asked to operate and a lot of that runs back to liability right a lot of that is changing in the way that those utilities are regulated and governed and so there are some some big changes afoot so we talked about we,
1: yeah we talked about culture and and policy and regulatory structures i, I think you pull it forward into financing platforms as a business model um, I basically list all of these challenges before I talk about anything technological. I think that there's actually uh, not a whole lot of friction um, on accelerating a lot of these solutions on the on the system from a technological standpoint. Sure, they exist, um, but, but they are lower on the list than a number of these other areas that I think are really the ones that are slowing down uh, the deployments, whether it's deployments of bringing EVs onto the grid or deployments of rolling out a demand side program. We even talked about some of the most cutting edge things like rolling out a DERMS platform. Acronym shouldn't have more than three, but rolling out a distributed energy resource management type system uh, for, for your utility. All of these I think are not being hampered significantly by technological issues. It, it's almost always something that we've talked about um, with these other, these other levers.
0: Interesting. And you anticipated what I was gonna ask a follow up question. So I have uh, kind of five broad areas of challenges I wrote down. I have regulation, um, I have politics, I have culture, I have economics, finance, and then technology. So I guess you answered that technology is not the problem. It's all of the other structural aspects of that, which is
1: I rarely find the technological issue being the one that's holding back the deployment. These solutions are amazing. The things they can do typically far Exceed the expectations or the specs of something that a buyer would want, um, but they do adjust the way that they do business, or it's changed from the way they historically had done it, or they're going to make revenue in a different fashion. Um, and you just got to overcome those those barriers, and they're very not insignificant. They just don't change overnight. We're right in the thick of the messy part of this energy transition with relate with regards to how these solutions come in, because frankly, you know. Performance-based regulation is going to have to have some way, shape, or form in almost all markets. Selling a kilowatt hour, not all kilowatt hours are the same. Um, Time and and location and various attributes of that are going to matter. And they're going to matter on the way that that you sell your resources and the way that you manage their grid and the decisions that you make for managing your grid. So that's just the the quick and dirty version of the really exciting uh, landscape that's, that's unfolding right now
0: yeah i can i can speak from from personal experience and some of the changes kelly mentioned the public safety power shutoffs and I, I live in one of those zones so i got to experience a couple days without power uh, last fall during one of our dry wind events up here in oregon fortunately in in oregon we don't get uh, we don't get those very often unlike in uh, further it, south in the west
1: And california has been getting br- brutal it's absolutely nuts and i actually think that they made a really good call on the psps in oregon state for the first time they did it um, but yeah, I mean, I think the knee-jerk reaction there was to overreact because of the liability potential. Um, but it's a tool that needs to be in the toolkit um, when we're trying to deal with really extreme uh, circumstances and in, in the ways that, that that our grid interfaces with with communities and, and with all of us. Um, hopefully, hopefully, we're going to be doing a lot less of the PSPS and using some more advanced solutions uh, to, to to minimize that. But I don't think that that cat's out of the bag. I don't think it's ever going to be fully put back in. Um, and, and I wouldn't argue that it should be actually.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to pivot a little bit. Um, and, uh, talk a little bit about my world, <laughs> get your, get your perspectives. And, and I don't necessarily expect you to have uh, a, a great deal of knowledge or, or, or insight onto specifics, but I'm curious, you know, what your impressions are. Uh, you're obviously dealing with with people that are working on the, the forward, um, forward progress of the grid on a daily basis. When it comes to things like cybersecurity, um, even physical security to an extent, and reliability challenges, what are you hearing in your community? How, how big of a conversation is that? How much thought or, or concern are they putting into that as a design and envision this, you know, this new grid that we have in mind? I
1: would say that when it comes to deploying an advanced grid widget, I don't care what it is, just pick the tool pick the MS, as I say, whatever that management system might be, whatever that that new um, software package might be, if it doesn't come to the table with an answer to how is it addressing cybersecurity, it tends to be a non-starter, right? So these solutions are opening up, yes, arguably maybe a higher number of vulnerabilities on our system, um, but I would say that the operators are re- reasonably mature understanding that threat and know that they have to have cybersecurity addressed, um, on all of the solutions that they bring in, um, in this regard. Now, d- does that mean we're creating a system that's more or less cyber secure? Um, I think it's hard to argue that we aren't creating a system that has mo- more possible places to be potentially attacked, right? So there's more vulnerabilities, but as we head to a grid that is more dispersed, um, has, more uh, agility and ability to flex and and find resources from other areas um, i tend to think that it's going to be uh, a net gain uh, for for the overall system because in the past days if you had a a, a, you know a, a international nation state that try was trying to hack down our system and maybe is trying to take down a central generator well, maybe they get access to a handful of HVAC systems and you eventually find out the issue, but at the end of the day, it's not gonna impact your grid as much as it would have to take down like a coal facility. So I think there probably will be more vulnerabilities, um, but I do think that the industry is keenly aware how important cyber is on all of these applications that come in, and it hopefully will get the the, the attention it deserves we advocated for larger support, for example, federal funding. We said you're, you're funding uh, grid modernization uh, uh, programs to these billions of dollars and you're only funding cybersecurity to these um, hundreds of millions. You really need to upgrade that a little bit. Um, so I think there are some areas of, of you know funding maybe at the federal level we'd like to see a little bit higher. Um, but in general, I can, I can assure you, every conversation we ever have about some advanced solution, somebody has a question about cyber, and we never t- kick them out of the room. It's not an inappropriate question. It really needs to be there.
2: Um, to, to add what you were saying, or maybe to debate you just a little bit, I'm curious, you mentioned um, you know, a bunch of distributed energy resources. Uh, you said HVAC systems coming online, et cetera, and being you know, flexed up and down probably up. Uh, we've been having this conversation about EVs. Uh, I'm curious at what point, um, you know, what saturation of EVs under control of someone else, uh, perhaps in the middle of the night, what it would take to actually compare to a coal plant. I really don't know, but uh, that number is, it takes a lot fewer electric vehicles than it takes H- home HVAC systems, right? So just a just a curious thought, and I don't have an answer. Um, but yeah, to your point, uh, we're certainly seeing a whole lot of um, physical security issues in and around the Pacific Northwest. I know a couple of utilities have had uh, uh, their electrical substations be uh, be shot at, and so that's happened here. That's happened, uh, I think, on the East Coast and the South as well. So we're seeing a number of kind um, of uh, scary, scary trends there where there's gunfire. Um, and I know that uh, utilities certainly, that's a physical security thing that that utilities are seeing very stridently. And they're also seeing a lot of theft of copper. So um, the the combination of those has a lot of attention of utility executives From what I can tell, they are not only is it outrageously dangerous um, to steal copper, it's also uh, of course very expensive for someone for the utility to have to replace. And so there's a lot of, uh, effort going into the physical security of substations and other uh, uh, locations that are owned by utilities, and so that's been certainly a theme that I've heard over the course of uh, the last year or so. Steve,
0: excellent, um, uh, Bryce. I think I, I, I think I probably agree with you, um, which might seem odd coming from a cybersecurity person, but I think that, you know balancing the risk reward is important, and I think you're correct. You know, the, we are building more risk. Or more vulnerabilities perhaps into the grid but we're also getting rewards and, and we have to look at the, the overall balance and I think we've we've accepted the risk in many other areas of our lives because the reward exceeds you know exceeds what the risk is and so I think I think we're probably gonna hopefully we're gonna be in in that place with the grid and not uh, not having a adverse uh, risk reward ratio on that
1: well the analogy I make Steve is is banking is banking fully secure now that it's digitized of course it's not. Do any of us want to physically go walk into a bank to do every single transaction that we would have to do now? Nobody does, right? So I think it's, it's the, the way that we run our electric system in parallel uh, will be some, somewhat akin to the, the way that banking digitized you know, really some time ago. Um, and you're not going to ever go back. You would never imagine even dreaming of going back. Are there going to be issues that come along with it? there undoubtedly were and it will be including stuff we couldn't even possibly imagine um but the way that we run our energy systems and the way that that we see the benefit from that whether it's getting value from you know us homeowners or us business owners and the way that we run our system so just more visibility to integrating renewables at much much higher levels um i think you know in in all host of examples of course we're going to want to do go there excellent
0: well, this has been a uh, very interesting and insightful conversation. Uh, before we wrap things up, uh, I do want to give you a chance to talk about your annual event. Uh, I understand you've got one coming up this fall again. Um, plans might not be entirely set, but what can you tell us about that? And if uh, people listening to this are interested in attending, what should they know?
1: Our main event's always in the fall. We're working on the firm date. Hopefully it's October 17th and 18th. We're working on the firm location, uh, potentially around the wider Portland area. Uh, the theme this year will be on embracing disruption Um, we've had recent themes around powder the consumer um, or ensuring a resilient 21st century grid Um, but there's disruption all around us and the way that we really uh, embrace that and turn it into some um, productive uh, transition i think will be a really exciting one Um, so that's going to be our focus this year Uh, coming in october details to come later the only the other pitch i would make is that we do our annual meeting usually in june Um, And we're looking to do that next to a very, very exciting uh, event where uh, Formula One race cars are racing around tracks on fully electric drivetrains. So uh, stay tuned for that as well. That would be June. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you both uh, for joining us. This has been great. I think our our audience is going to be very interested to hear, um, learn more about Grid Forward. Um, Thanks again. And Bryce, I'm sure I'll see you you again in the very near future. Um, Thank you and have a great day. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Take care. Thanks, Steve. Not only is Direct Connect available to listen to, you can also watch each episode on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Archer News Network. If you're interested in who we are and what we do, head on over to our website at archerint.com. That's archerint.com. You can also follow us on our social media platforms, Archer International on Facebook, Archer Energy Solutions, LLC on LinkedIn at Archer underscore I-N-T-L on Twitter. Thanks for listening and check back every other week for brand new episodes.